So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta Podcast. The Active Atlanta Podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. What is up, Atlanta? And welcome back to the Active Atlanta Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Jake Swart. And today, y'all, we have somebody who I cannot wait to talk with. Uh, it's an She has an interesting background, both as a journey and her journey into fitness, as well as her journey around the world. Um, her name is Allie DiGiacomo. She is a personal trainer and a chronic illness advocate. She currently works at one of our all-time favorite gyms in Atlanta called Smugs Fitness. Um, guys, she's an incredible resource. She's super fun. I can't wait to bring her on. So without further ado, Allie, how you doing? Did I do okay with the name? You killed it. You got it. Did you blacked out perfect. a little bit? I hope I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you look up. I was like, yes, you got it. It was perfect. But yes, thank you so much for that introduction. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I think what's interesting, Atlanta is super cool. And the fact that, uh, it's kind of like a little like mini LA, if you will, or like an LA of the South. Um, so um, I think it's really cool how you went from having uh, like film being your main thing uh, and having like training be a side hustle uh, and then having now training is your main thing, but you still have film as a side hustle. They kind of like flip flop there. Uh, can you kind of tell us like your journey a little bit with film and like uh, just like give us a background of who you are and how you came into training and, and what you like to specialize in now, because that's a super fun combo that we'll get into as well. Yes. So I actually went to university for film and media arts and studio television down in Florida. And my boyfriend and I, I waited for him to graduate. And after he graduated, Atlanta was the closest film hub uh, to us versus like going out to LA and New York. And this was about like seven years ago. So Atlanta was still up and coming in the film yeah. industry. Yeah. So we did drive up here. It was a five hour drive. We actually just came up here for two days, went back, packed our stuff and came. Oh, um, and we hopped in the film industry really quickly. Um, so that was great. And Atlanta was actually one of the biggest, I think it was the biggest film hub in the US. This was a couple of years ago. I don't know if it still is, but if you are in Atlanta, you know, those yellow signs are like on every street now, like it's popping up. Yeah. So um, yeah, so we did hop in the film industry here. And um, we'll get into the whole chronic illness thing. But I was battling chronic illness at the time. And I was bringing awareness on social media. And this is while I was in the film industry. And when I graduated university, I actually couldn't walk. So in, if you've been in the film industry, you know, being on set, you're standing all day, it's really tricky. So I did have to find a desk job. So I worked in casting. Okay. And um, yes, and during this time in casting, um, I found somebody on social media who was working out who also has rheumatoid arthritis, which is what I have. And we'll get into that more. But I saw that she was working out and I fell in love with it. So I started working out. I started sharing my journey. And then others were reaching out to me asking like, hey, Ali, I see you're working out. Can you like, please train me? Can you show me how you're doing those moves? I don't understand because you have a chronic illness. Yeah. And um, so when I, um, I decided to get certified so that I could help my friends out, I didn't want to just, you know, do it without being certified. So I got yeah. certified through NASM. 
And I started working with my friends right away. So my clients were my friends, they have chronic illnesses. And I was doing it on top of uh, doing film and casting, which was really tricky because the film industry, you work like, you know, longer, like 13 hours. Those hours are crazy in the film industry. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 Even at at a desk job, like when film like production starts at 5 a.m., they're calling you and going until midnight. So it was really tricky to do both. But when I got furloughed with COVID, I was able to do it more. And um, I fell in love with it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I love training full time. I did eventually go back into casting after uh, COVID and after being furloughed and I was juggling the two and it was really tricky. I would teach a class at 5.30 AM and then have a client after that go to casting and then do it at lunch. And I was like, I would love to just do this full time. So I transitioned to do it full time. And I'm actually, I do like, I film on the weekends. So I still do a little bit of both, but I'm loving training full time. Uh, That's awesome. And then, and super cool too. Like, uh, okay. So, um, pretty interesting story, a pretty fun story about how you got into fitness because you were, or because you followed somebody who had uh, RA and was uh, training and doing awesome things. So then you started doing that. And now you get to be the page that people follow, or do you get to be that person that people follow and uh, by example, right? So like um, what, okay. So RA, so I think what I'm really curious or really want to kind of dive into is like your battle with a chronic illness like rheumatoid arthritis, right? Um, because I think a lot of people, when they hear the term arthritis, they're probably thinking of like, they're like 87 year old grandpa, right? Um, there's, they're thinking of like, um, they're not thinking of like a young, active, uh, uh, healthy adult who otherwise would be totally fine. Right. And how debilitating that can be. And, um, how more, more people than not, or not, there's a lot of people that do suffer with that. And, uh, there's a lot of people that suffer, not just RA, but like, uh, with a ton of different types of like chronic illnesses or invisible illnesses, and how that's a really underserved population and how you're kind of trying to be the tip of the spear for that. So um, I guess my overarching question is, when did you get diagnosed with RA and kind of describe like what that's like to be a trainer with RA? Absolutely. So I got diagnosed at the age of 15 with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. I was really young. And I know when I got diagnosed, I was like, isn't that like an old person's thing? Excuse me. Um, But I got diagnosed at 15. And one day and I was a very competitive swimmer at the time. And one day I just could not keep myself above water, which was crazy because I had gone to the Junior Olympics twice. Like I was a very I was trying to go to university for swimming. And one day I just could not keep myself above the water. And then we realized my knee was like three times its size. So we immediately thought injury but it's very hard to get injured in a pool. So we were very confused. Um, and yeah. then I did end up having surgery and the surgeon, um, there was a tumor in my knee. It was benign, but when he was in there, he said my joint looked like that of a 60 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got diagnosed with uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, which is now known as juvenile idiopathic arthritis, right? So they don't know why um, we have that, but mm-hmm. at the time it was JRA. Um, and so I was 15 and um, had the surgery. I was in high school. It was really difficult because I didn't know anybody else with rheumatoid arthritis. And the difference between rheumatoid arthritis and like, you know, the old person's arthritis is that is rheumatoid arthritis is an inflammatory disease. It affects more than just our joints. So it's not just an achy joint disease. It can affect our organs and it can affect our heart. It can affect our eyes even, and it causes daily struggles. So it was, it was quite difficult to have that in high school. And I actually didn't meet somebody who was a young adult with RA or any chronic illness until I was about like 26 when I started bringing awareness online. And I just really needed that outlet to chat with somebody who understood. And there was a moment where I um, 
was unmedicated at the time and I needed to use a cane. I had to use wheelchair assistance wherever I could because my knee was awful. At 26? Yeah, actually, this was at 21 years old. Um, so I needed, yeah, so I needed a cane at 21, actually, um, you didn't I turn any heads with like a cane at 21, right? Like, no, I like, did. what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. There, I remember I went to the star Wars premiere and, um, I couldn't walk. So my boyfriend ran to CBS, got me a cane and I was entering the star Wars premiere on a cane and I couldn't even make it up the steps. So he had to end up picking me up. A cane is not the best tool. Actually, no, <laughs> I realized yeah. cane sucks. Yeah. So I yeah. needed a wheelchair wherever we went, like the grocery store. Anytime I went to the airport, I needed wheelchair assistance and mm. it was really challenging at 21 and I had just gone out of university and I had to quit my first film job because I couldn't stand and um, which was really challenging. That was really hard. And then um, decided to go on medication, which helped. And then it's when I met my friend who started uh, working out with RA and that's when I started working out and I realized it really helped like supersetting the two, um, having medication and um, being active. It's really hard to want to get moving when you feel like you physically, when you physically can't, like if I'm in a wheelchair, I'm like, why do I can't do that? And my doctor right. would be like, you really need to get moving. My mom would be like, you really need to get moving. And I'm like laughing at them. I'm like, I can't even stand up. Like, how right. do you expect me to get moving? Which is really why I'm passionate about like, yes, you may look at me now, but it was a, it was really hard to get to where I am today. And that's why I encourage the movement and, um, love coming up with programs for people who have those limitations. Yeah. And I think you bring up a couple of big things there. Um, one uh, is that there is a difference between like rheumatoid arthritis and um, like osteoarthritis, right? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. um, that osteoarthritis is what people typically think of, of like, oh, I've got achy knees because um, I have a sport injury when I was back in high school or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's typically what we think of. Rheumatoid arthritis is like you said, it's an inflammatory disease. It's totally different and um, can impact more so more things than just your uh, physical joints. So, um, wanted to highlight that again, there is a difference and there's a difference for a reason. And like, um, and to highlight the fact too, that this isn't a case of like, just quit being a baby, <laughs> you know, like exactly. which kind of brings yeah. me into my second thing that I think is so, um, important is like the mental toll that that probably had to take for you to have like your parents constantly telling you, your doctor constantly telling you, I'm sure your friends constantly telling you, right? Like, just get up and move, you move, you feel better. Right. Like, um, and you know, like that is act, that is very like, while we embody that, you know, we have on our painted and big letters on our wall, movement is medicine, right? Like you have to understand that there's limitations to that. And like, and if we truly look at uh, movement as a medicine, just like you can overdose on medicine, you can overdose on, um, movement, right. And like, you need to have the appropriate, um, dosages, you need to have the appropriate types of medicine, right? So, um, what was like, was there ever a moment where you're just like, you know what, screw this. I'm just going to like work out and if it hurts, whatever. But I'm sure like uh, there's probably moments where like it didn't, it doesn't matter if it hurts in you or whatever. That's your mindset. You probably like physically couldn't move. So like, what was that journey for you to go from like wheelchair to like I, my parents tell me to move to uh, being a personal trainer and helping other people do uh, uh, be successful in that movement journey? Absolutely. It was really tricky. I needed that accountability. And what I preach the most is the consistency. I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for being consistent. And the mental game behind that is so tricky because there are tons of programs out there for people with chronic illness or any limitations, right? So usually if like you hop on YouTube or you pull up any type of like workout program, people are just running around and that's very intimidating. And mm -hmm. so you have to learn how to modify, just like how we modify in life with a chronic illness, you got to modify those workouts. But the mental game behind it was tough because, so at this time I'm like 23, 24 and I'm trying to move and I'm thinking, 
oh my God, I'm like thinking of my past self. And I was so fit when I was in high school. And I just, you, you can't mourn your past self or that's really going to set you back. So you just have to be proud of where you're at that day. Mm. So for instance, I'm just proud to like get up off the couch, whereas before I was running miles. So mm -hmm. the mental game behind that is really tricky, but you have to stay consistent and modify that workout. So for me, I started with a six day program. It was 20 minutes a day. I would go for a walk. I would uh, do some body weight stuff at home. I would do some resistance bands and I would take it very slow um, because I was afraid to set myself in a flare. And just four weeks of six days a week of that um, and being kind to myself, you know, not getting too much in my head about like how slow I'm going. Mm -hmm. um, I realized I was having less morning stiffness in the morning. And I was like, this is this is nice. Like, okay, <laughs> I like this. And then, yeah. I, and then I'm thinking, I'm calling my mom and I'm like, yes, yes. Thank you for telling me to get moving. I understand yeah. where you're coming from. <laughs> and I was like, you were right. You know, the moms, they always know. I'm like, you were right. Yes. Um, you know, yes. And then I went to my doctor and he saw like, um, my mobility. And he was like, Oh my goodness, what are you doing? And I'm like, I decided yeah. to move. Yeah. And we were celebrating. <laughs> so yes, but, um, but taking it slow and being kind to yourself and understanding that it's okay to take that moment to mourn your past self. And you can have that pity party, like feel those emotions, don't suppress them, feel those emotions, but then get back in it and be so proud of yourself, like every yeah. single day for moving, even if it's just a walk, like I would be so proud of myself for going on a walk and then fast forward a couple years later and now I'm jumping up and down and training people. So oh, awesome. it just, yeah, it takes time. Yeah. So then with, uh, with training with RA, uh, first of all, can you clarify what a flare is? Absolutely. So a flare can look different for everybody. Um, it's very, yeah, it can, it really varies. So for me, sometimes when I'm having a flare, it could be that my joints fill with fluid. And sometimes I have to get that aspirated. So that means when they put a big needle in there and pull that fluid out. So for me, that's what I would call a flare. But now it really is. Um, it really is just feeling pain. And, and for instance, my knee could flare up, or I actually struggle with something called costochondritis with which is um, pain in the chest. So where the rib cage meets the sternum, I have pain in that joint right there. Um, and the RA makes it worse. And so for a flare for me it could be like my chest pain is really active. It's really flaring up, right. Um, but it really depends like where your pain is. And it could also be a full body flare, like fatigue, like I'm flaring, I'm feeling awful. But it does look different for everybody. So for me, my biggest flares are my chest pain and my knee pain um, because I have pretty bad joint damage in my knee. So um, someday, especially in the winter, the winter is a really hard time mm. for us chronic illness people because <laughs> the yeah. weather. Um, and so we have a bit more flares, but it does look different for everybody. Um, it just means that our RA or whatever chronic illness you have is very active at the moment and it's going to be harder to get through our day and we're most likely going to be in pain, um, have very high pain that day. Yeah. And flares can last a while. They can last um, days, weeks. They can even last months. Mm. Um, and yeah. And so usually we'll have to get like steroids from our doctor. We'll have to take it easy. Um, yeah. So it does look different for everybody. I'm sorry if that wasn't like a direct answer. No, that's but, great. Yeah. But no, I, I just wanted to like, kind of like, um, and I'm glad you touched on the time frame there because that's what I was kind of going to get at is like a flare. You say it was such like a nonchalant way, right? Like, that's ah, a flare, right? Like, um, which at this point it is nonchalant for you, right? Like it's just, it's mm -hmm. a part of your, part of your life. Right. Like, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, I did want to highlight just how like impactful that can be like months of like severe chest pain, right? Like mm -hmm. that's not a little thing to have to deal with to have like, um, uh, you know, months of like your knee swelling up or have to get aspiration done where you get like fluid pulled out. Like that's aren't those aren't little things to have to deal with. So, um, I did just want to like take a moment to highlight that. So thank you for the explanation. Uh, and then. 
when you have like ah, man the uh perception of like a chronic do you ever get like um do people ever essentially like kind of like belittle that you have like a like ra right you're not belittle i guess but like like oh it can't be that bad look at you right like um the uh because the fact that it is invisible um meaning like you know if somebody blows their knee out like you could obviously tell like there's an injury there right like there's something that happened there um but being invisible uh it's it's a lot harder to like uh to um highlight that and you don't want to highlight that right like while it is a part of like who you are it's not the only piece of who you are so like um how do you kind of balance those those challenges of like um or do you still have those and i guess is it just like putting a better circle around your life and like knowing that like they're just like they don't understand or kind of like what what's your um uh strategy for that i guess i should say yeah absolutely and being having it as an invisible illness is really challenging because if you see me i'm like tiny and people would automatically think i'm healthy i'm like bounce around the gym i'm very like i'm always happy and smiling Mm -hmm. um it's actually funny we you bring this up because today i was training my clients and they asked me they were like how often are you in a flare and what does it feel like and I'm like, oh, well, I'm in one right now. And they were like, what? <laughs> and, and I'm cracking up because I'm just so used to it. And I'm like, yeah, like I have chest pain right now. And they're like, do you need to sit down? Are you fine? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm used to this, but um, yeah. that's just how it is. But yes, having an invisible illness, it's um, it's really tricky. And that's why I bring awareness so much. And I'm very open about it. Yeah. So, um, and before I wasn't, like in my first job, um, the one I had to quit because I couldn't walk, um, I re- I'll never forget this, but my coworker at the time saw me limping and he was like, Oh, you really should hide that before they see that. And I was like, Oh my God, like I gotta, I gotta be quiet about this. I can't like be upfront and let them know that I have chronic illness. And so I would hide it. Um, but yeah, at that time they could see me limping and they were like, mm, something's wrong. But yeah. um, that's why we should never like assume with anybody about being healthy. Cause like, if you looked at me and you saw me moving around, you're like, Oh, she, she has no struggles in her life. Like she's fine. But I love bringing awareness because, you know, it's better to ask or never assume because a lot of people, a lot of people are nervous to bring up their chronic illness. They're not like an open book like me. Like I will shout it to the world. Um, but people are really nervous and I I love to bring awareness online and social media and try to um, educate others because like, for instance, when I was in high school, like no, nobody knew I had RA. I kept that on the DL. No one knew. I never, I didn't tell a single person, but I would need help. Right. So like, um, I love bringing awareness, especially for young, like for teens and young adults who are studying because they might need some help. And then the kids are mean to them. They're like, why do they need extra time for their exams? They're fine. Like, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's really tricky with an invisible illness, which is why I like to be super open about it. I'm open about it with my clients. I'm open about it with my job. Of course, Smugs is incredible and they understand nope. and they help me out as much as I can. But I guess my advice for people with chronic illness is if you can try to be open about it, don't be afraid to talk about it. When I was afraid in my first job to talk about it after I told them, they were so accommodating and they tried to keep me on. They did everything to keep me on. I unfortunately had to leave, but people are accepting and don't be afraid to talk about it and let everyone know because it's hard. It's hard not to talk about it and just try to keep living life when you're in pain and you're just sitting there with a smile on your face when really you're dying inside. (laughs) For sure. And you know, I think like, uh, as, as for all the negatives that social media brings about, because there's a lot of them, uh, (laughs) one of the positives is it allows you to find your people, right? Like, um, for better, for worse, like you can find your people like, uh, and so I do think social media, especially for this instance, especially for, for like young adults, right? Like what a powerful tool to be able to use to find people who are, um, ha- to realize you're not alone in this battle, right? Like you're not the only, you're not the only kid under 18 that's been diagnosed with RA or idiopathic or, or idiopathic arthritis at this point, right? Like, um, 
there's people out there, there's people out there and there's plenty of people that are willing to help. What are some of the questions that you get that are like, um, uh, do you, do you, I'm assuming you get a, quite a few like people like engaging with their social media account. Like, um, what are some of the common questions that you'll get from people in terms of like, how do you train with X or like, um, how do you like, I guess I don't even know what questions to ask. What questions do you get? Yeah. Um, well, a lot of them are, I'm so glad I found this community, um, mm-hmm. which is why I started my Instagram account because I needed community. I was craving talking to somebody who understood what I was going through and understood what it was like being on the medications that was like. And I always say my biggest piece of advice is to connect with people who understand what you're going through. And mm-hmm. so um, I do get lots of questions. Um, but the first thing is everybody is saying, I am so glad I found you. I'm so glad I found this community because I love to bring people together, especially if I find out what their illness is, I find somebody else and I pair them. I'm like a oh, matchmaker nice. with chronic <laughs> illness. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they get so excited. And then of course, the second question is how are you moving like that? Like how do you have a Ray and you're over here dancing? Um, and that's when I start to talk about movement and how it's really beneficial and do not be afraid of it. I always tell them like, you don't have to go into CrossFit. Like you can go for a walk and that counts, you know, like, um, yes. And then, um, but a lot of people are like, what medication are you on? How are you able to move like that? And I'm like, well, uh, let's talk about like what I'm not doing naturally. Like we could talk about the medication, but like, let's talk about the other things I'm doing daily to help with that. So yeah, how you're moving is the number one question I get. <laughs> Do you notice like nutrition is a big, plays a big uh, piece in like um, the frequency or intensity of flare ups that you get? Oh, absolutely. For instance, like we don't want high sodium, right? And we do have mm-hmm. to be aware of our food. Um, I did give up dairy a couple of years ago and I uh, realized how beneficial that was. And I was having less inflammation. I actually went to my doctor's office and they did some labs and they were like, what are you doing differently? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm eating differently. And she was so excited. Of course, everyone's different. I'm not here saying give up dairy, right. but like some things that you'll notice. So I gave it up and then I brought it back and I realized I started to flare. I actually had inflammation in my joints. I was feeling pretty achy. And so it's kind of doing like the elimination diet in a sense. Like if you notice something is going to cause a flare, I feel like every chronic illness patient has that something that causes a flare (laughs) for me, for me, it's dairy. And I was like, all right, it's not worth it if it's going to do that. Yeah. So nutrition does play a huge factor in it. And um, working with someone really helps. I've worked with a nutritionist who specializes in chronic illness and that was very beneficial. Um, But yes, nutrition, huge part of it as well. Yeah. Oh man, I bet. And then, um, do you specialize or I guess not do you specialize, but how do you, what are some of the things that you like to work on? If somebody comes in with uh, like a chronic illness uh, and they're going to come and work with you, um, what's kind of like your, your process, right? Like, do you assess like, where are they at with this chronic? What is your chronic illness? Like, what are some of your uh, uh, triggers? Is that the right word? Like, what are some of your, what are, what are some things yeah. that flare you up? Like um, what, what's kind of like your process when you work with somebody that has a chronic illness? Yeah, absolutely. And I I feel like I get a little excited when I'm doing an assessment and my clients like, for instance, I had a client last week and then he's like, I have psoriatic arthritis. And I was like, Oh, you do. And he's probably (laughs) like, what is wrong with her? Yeah. (laughs) And actually, it was really sad. He was like, um, he's like, yeah, I don't usually like to say that because I'm afraid trainers won't want to work with me. And I was like, sir, I was I was about to jump up and down. I was like, have a seat. But like, let's chat about this. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I get I do get excited. But um, it does look a little different than some other people's assessments. Like I might not go, like we have an assessment protocol at Smugs. I might not go through that assessment if they're having a really hard time um, moving. And I get really excited when they come in because, you know, that's like the hardest thing is like booking that assessment to come on in and chat about it. 
So I always tell them like, this is a huge win, like getting here and moving. And I do move them a little bit, but I'm a little bit more cautious. Um, I mean, I'm cautious with everybody, but um, with, especially with chronic illness, I'm a little bit more cautious. I don't want to scare them off. I let them know that we're never going to go to the point of pain. As you know, like you're in this industry, you never want to move past the point of pain. So I really do explain that before we start. I'm always like, please, like I'm an open book. I want you to communicate with me when we do those moves. Don't feel like you have to do it. If you're like, Ooh, Allie, that doesn't feel right. We're stopping. And I do just really want them to feel comfortable during that assessment and let them know that, um, we're never going to do something that's really going to hurt them because it's actually really sad. Um, with most of my chronic illness assessments, they always have a really scary story of them trying to work out and, um, whatever program or gym Mm -hmm. that they were at, they didn't offer modifications for them. And I've even, I've experienced that and I'm a trainer and I was a trainer at the time when I experienced that. So, um, making them feel very comfortable and knowing that we're, we're going to move, I'm going to come up with a custom training program and that's what Smugs does. We do custom training programs for them and that they're not going to get hurt basically. Um, because I hear horror stories and it's really sad. Um, so making them feel comfortable. Yeah. Make them feel comfortable. And then just like the power of listening is pretty, Mm -hmm. it's pretty incredible, right? Like it does blow me away how many people work in like, cause like, uh, regardless if it's healthcare, um, and, and, or like, uh, if it's fitness or if it's health or if it, like, which are all and like health fitness is healthcare. Um, but like that's a service-based industry, right? Like, uh, you, you provide a service to a human being and, uh, you know, what will really help you out in providing a service is listening to what they're saying, you know, mm-hmm. um, yep. and that assuming that, you know, best because, um, a lot of times, like even, um, you know, you take somebody like, uh, I don't know, say, say me, for example, like, um, got a ton of experience in this field. Like I've got a doctorate degree. Like we went and did, I did all the, I did all the things, right. I don't still have your body that you live with every single day. Right. Um, so taking the time to listen to what's kind of going on and then being able to like, um, I heard this saying, what did it come from? I think it came from the power of habits was where I first heard this uh, saying, but it was like mastery allows for creativity. Right. So, um, when you work with a true, like an expert, especially a true expert, and especially an expert who takes time to listen to you, um, that provides that provides an, an environment of creativity that allows you to get the same training goal um, without putting you in a position that you're going to hurt yourself with. Um, so, and that's especially true with uh, dealing with a chronic illness, or, or because like if it's hard enough just to get in the door, like it's going to be real easy to leave, right? <laughs> it's going to be real easy to find excuses and not walk back in the door. Um, mm-hmm. So like, have you ever had to like walk people off the cliff before in terms of like, no, 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 like I get it, like for sure, this sucks, but bear with me. Here's what we're going to do. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, And I do take it really slow in the beginning, but I do have to encourage them. Like, we're going to do this. It's going to be scary. We, we are going to feel discomfort, you know, like, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a beginner um, to anyone who's listening, who's a beginner, it is, it's not comfortable to start training. (laughs) So you're going to feel discomfort. And I always let them know, like, we're going to feel a little bit and that's okay, but feeling pain, we're going to stop. So I let them know that we're going to stop, but we do have to, you know, we have to get a little uncomfortable in the beginning mm-hmm. and it's going to be scary, but we're going to go at our own pace. But yes, I do have to help them like yeah. <laughs> jump over yeah. that. And it is scary. And also like coming back. And then I talked to them about consistency and what they can do outside of the gym on top of it. Like just seeing me once a week, isn't going to cut it. We need to do some stuff outside of the gym as well. Um, but yeah, cause it is really scary starting out. And you also are a little extra terrified because you don't want to put yourself in the flare. And it right. is common to start flaring in the beginning of training because your body is not used to that, you know? So right. um, I always say, if you're having a flare dance in your chair, because if you like for me, when <laughs> my flares tended to be in my knee, this is before my chest. So I would do workouts in my chair. Like I would just sit in my chair. Nice. I would do some bicep. You can do a lot in the chair, bicep curls, totally. 
you know, you can do a ton triceps, like dance, get moving. So if you're having a flare, dance in your chair. If you're having a flare in your upper body, do some legs, you know, like just, just keep on going. It's going to be scary in the beginning. It does. Well, training never gets easier, but it does get easier for chronic illness and you'll start to feel those benefits. And when my clients come in and they're like, I'm starting to feel like better. I'm feeling stronger. I'm always like, oh, my heart, (laughs) my my year year is made. I'm like, I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's amazing. And you and you bring up a good point. Like, uh, cause you know, exercise is uh engineered suffering, right? That's what it is. And so, like, mm-hmm. um, exercise is a stressor on the body. And the appropriate amount of stress builds resiliency in your body. That's why when you start a new workout program and that first oh, man, I forget the exact time frame. I think it's like the first like two weeks or first two to four weeks. I don't remember exactly. Um, but there is a little bit of a dip in your immune system as well. So like mm-hmm. when you start and that's, and that's true if like, uh, it's, it's really intensity based, right? So like if you go from, uh, I'm only a power lifter to, I'm going to go train to be, a, to run marathons, right? Like, um, that, that shock to the system, so to speak, will drop your immune system down. So you have a higher likelihood of getting sick, mm-hmm. but you keep consistent with that intensity level. And all of a sudden you have a increased resiliency to becoming sick, or if you do get sick, being able to recover faster. So I'm sure it's the same thing. I and mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure it's the same thing with chronic illness where, um, you might experience some more increase, like increased, uh, frequency of flares, uh, or like, uh, maybe even severity of flares, but, um, let us know, we'll work with it. We'll work through it. And, uh, eventually that consistency leads to, that like it's like a, a bell curve right like that you'll have an mm-hmm. increase and then you'll see that start dipping back down which is really where the magic happens but that only comes with uh consistency consistency and trust um mm-hmm, absolutely man and like i'm just trying to put myself in that position or in your position as well um the because i always try to remember this like when patients come in to work with me uh, or they come in working with any of our team at athletes potential like that's a very vulnerable step for anybody to make right like yeah um, yeah I need help. I'm seeking an expert to help. Right. Like that's a, that takes, um, that takes humility, humility that takes like vulnerability that takes like being fed up, whatever it is. Like there's a level of, um, respect that I think every, every healthcare professional or fitness professional should have with somebody just wanting to take a step forward. Right. Or seeking that help. But then you throw on the fact that there's, this is somebody that's also afraid of like, just, uh, or not afraid, but like also is living in like a, who's been living with pain for such a long time that like, mm-hmm. that's a super vulnerable step. So that, I'm sure those conversations look a little bit different. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is. And it, I just, I always say like, thank you so much for coming in. I know this is the hardest step, but you're here. Nope. We got this. We're going to work together. It's going to be great. But yeah, getting in there is really tricky. Totally. And then what are some, what are some of your, um, like, what is the typical duration? I don't want to put, hold your feet to the fire because I know everybody's different, right? And like we tell, we preach this all the time, but like, what's the typical like time frame that you'll see something like, okay, you give me this much time and like, you should be feeling a little bit better on average. Um, About four to six weeks, honestly, if you're consistent with it. Um, yeah. Like, like I said, like I did six days a week. Now it wasn't six days of intense training. It was, I'm talking like walks, 20 minutes, um, uh, light weights, resistance. I don't even think I use. I didn't use weights the first four to six weeks, actually. It was just body weight. Um, But about four to six weeks, um, of course, everyone's different. But staying consistent with it, that's when I started to notice the less morning stiffness. And I'm feeling a little bit stronger. You know, I'm able to walk up the steps better. Um, So about four to six weeks. But being consistent with it, of course, we're all different. And depending on how many times you're working out. But yeah, yeah, it could be very quick, actually. I think four to six weeks isn't that long. Yeah, that's true. Like, I was expecting a longer answer. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Well, it's been awesome. If uh, real quick too, do you feel like your experience um, 
being a like where all of you lived again like you lived in saudi arabia for oh, like yes like yes for a while like, eight eight sorry, years in saudi yeah yeah no no i lived in saudi and then connecticut florida atlanta italy and jersey yeah a lot of places <laughs> florida and jersey could both be like their own countries in and of themselves i know but, yeah <laughs> do you feel like your experience of like in living in such a diverse like group of areas um has like helped you understand human beings and be a little bit more respectful like where they're at as well Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm so grateful that I got to grow up over there um, and just experience those cultures and connect with people. It's also why I'm so extrovert, I think, Yeah, (laughs) and why I'm so chatty and just open and personable. And it's because I traveled a lot and met a lot of people and, um, you know, had to go to boarding school because they didn't have high school in Saudi Arabia for women when I was there at the time. Um, so yeah, it really got me out of my shell and I'm just so grateful to experience all these different cultures. And if I meet somebody from abroad, I'm like, Oh my God, where are you from? And Mm -hmm. I get so excited if I've been there or I want to visit. So yes, I think so. I think it helped me be an extrovert, which, you know, is really great when you're a trainer. (laughs) Oh my gosh, for sure. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, On that note, I remember when, uh, when the pandemic first happened, and like, you know, everyone shut down, we're from home, whatever, right? Like, um, there's like, I think it was like three days, right? <laughs> Where like, I was at, like, I, we, I hadn't gone into the office. I was like, I can't do this. I need to go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I need to talk to somebody. I need to have a group class or a group meeting or something. That's, that was me. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Um, well, this has been great, Allie. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, like if somebody's, uh, if one of our listeners has like a chronic illness that they're, uh, that they've been dealing with either publicly or silently, and they want to be able to like work with somebody, they're tired of not of feeling the way that they feel, uh, or they want to just build on how like the progress that they've made, um, what would be a really cool way for them to, or a really efficient way for them to be reach out to you? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways. One, they can um, send me a DM on Instagram and my Instagram is another day with RA. A lot of people read it and they're like, what is another day with raw? Um, but it's another day with RA and they can message me there or TikTok. It's the same name. Also, you can go to smugsfitness.com and we do have an email. If you are looking to come in for an assessment, we also do virtual too. So even if you're not in Atlanta, we could do virtual training together. Um, you can go to smugsfitness.com, send an email there or Ali at smugsfitness.com, A-L-I. And so you can reach out to me via DM. We also have smugs on Instagram that you can DM me as well because I run that Instagram. So I can see both oh, nice. DMs. <laughs> yeah, shoot, slide into the DMs and we can yeah. chat. <laughs> Man, that's so true. Everybody talks about it. everybody. You know what, though? I will say you're the first person I've had on. It's like, yeah, reach out to me on TikTok. Like that's a uh, that's Oh, a yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it is hard on TikTok. But if you comment on one of my videos, I think on TikTok, you can't message one another. Um, mm. But I, I do read all the comments on there. Um, nice. And I do bring awareness on um, on uh, Instagram and TikTok. If I try, I like to make comedy about having a chronic illness. I think yeah, like yeah. approaching it comedy in a funny true. way. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. if um, it also because it's just the mental health thing. So I like to like have fun. Yes. And so if you need a laugh, if you have chronic illness, you can head to my page and there's some ridiculous videos on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ali, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate the work that you do. Um, man, it's so important. And especially just being a resource for people who may not feel like there is hope for them, right? Or that there is like a resource for them. Um, really cool inspirational story. So thank you so much for sharing and for all the work that you do. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. It was great. Absolutely. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.